Well, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, last week, we started in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 1, and we we're looking at the what we call are the Beatitudes, but really this is a divine higher law that was instituted by the Lord Jesus himself. And we we have something that the Lord has been, has given to us. I guess you could say this is almost the the mon, this should be the mantra of the church. It should be what believers are living by. And I, I know we, we oftentimes hear things like, well, we're under grace, we're not under law. And of course, that's true. But how many of you know when Jesus is in you, he, 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 there's an impact there. There's a difference that he makes. And it causes us to approach things differently, to live differently. And so the Lord is giving us this, this new order, this new law of the kingdom. And we're going to read it here in just a moment. But if you, if, let's just pray. Let's pray. I'm all over the place. I've had like six coffees probably, so forgive me. All right, well, Lord, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, burn your word into our hearts. Renew our minds and lead us to Jesus. Light us on fire, Lord, as your word goes forth in power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Let's, let's read this together. And if you are in your Bibles, that's great. If not, you can follow along on screen. Matthew 5, starting at verse 1, says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we introduced this last week, and we talked about how the Lord was declaring a higher law. He ascended the mountain, and just as Moses ascended Mount Sinai to deliver the law of God to the people of God, in the same way, Jesus is ascending the mountain, and he is delivering an even higher law. He's delivering the law of the kingdom. And we see here in verse 5, and this is what I wanted to touch on today, is blessed are the meek. Everybody say meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, what is the opposite of meekness? Pride, right? Pride. And it's always in pride that the devil brings his attack. Because how many of you know the devil always wants more? It's who he is. It's his nature. Ambition. More, right? He was one of the angels that would worship the Lord, but he wanted more than that. He wanted to elevate himself to be more holy. By the way, we got a new sound system. Am I a little hot now? How's this volume? It's really loud? We're loud. Are we good now? All right. If you uh, want to see it, we can give you a little tour, but there's a, there's a million buttons and a lot of lights, so it's pretty cool. So it's always in pride that the devil comes to bring his attack on our lives, and we're given over to the enemy's schemes, and what drives it is when we have this desire for more. 
when we start to move ambitiously through life and we start to become lords unto ourselves. We make our own decisions. We have our own objectives, our own goals, our own things. And this ambition, it's an, it's an insatiable hunger. No matter how much you acquire, no matter how much you achieve, you always want more. And what it does is it exposes the lack of satisfaction in your own heart. And that's how people go too far. They want more and more things that God never called them to have. I just want more. I need to be more successful. I need more money. I need more influence. I need more ministry success, whatever that means, okay? I just want more. And that desire in itself can be satanic to the core. Where I will ascend, I will have, I will make it happen. And we have to resist that. And we have to resist it because God resists that. How many of you know the word says, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. A proud heart can't hear right. A proud heart does not receive the things of God. It doesn't even know the things of God because why? It's not who he is. It's not his nature. In fact, the nature of God, if when we see it exemplified in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we see throughout Scripture how the Trinity always defers to the other. Do you, have you ever noticed that? Jesus says, the works that I do, it has nothing to do with me. All these miracles, signs, I'm not doing, it's the Father who does the work. You see, there's always this preferring another. And how many of you know if that is the culture of the Trinity, that should be the culture of the church? Where we always prefer another. Where it's more about lifting up others than about self. And so this is the way we're to live the Christian life. It's not unto me, but unto you, Lord. Everything that I have, everything that I can accomplish, it's not because of what I can do. No, it's because of you. You see, that's meekness. And it's a heart posture. And it's interesting because Jesus would say those types of things. It's not me who does the work. It's the Father. But Jesus was very involved in that, wasn't he? Like Jesus was, in every miracle, in every sign of wonder, Jesus had a big part of that because nothing happens without him. Everything the Lord does, though, he does as Trinity. It is the culture. It is the heart. It's meekness. So untethered, unyielded, unlorded ambition is a death sentence to every believer. And it will shroud itself in good things. Believers are very good, and I'm guilty of this. We can be very good at making good things sound like God things. It's not really him. You see, this unyielded, untethered ambition will often shroud itself as good things, but the devil is the master at using good things to send people to hell. Where that good thing becomes your idol, and now because it's your idol, the Lord no longer has first place, and you lose your heart for him. How many believers have turned away from the, from the Lord in the last 10 years? 40 million. 
because they were unyielded. It was about them. It wasn't about him. How many of you know the only good thing is God? Only God is good. And so if it's not birthed by God, if it's not possessed by God, if it's not unto God or about God, it is not good. I mean, this, it, could be, it could be church planting. I think we would all agree church planting is good. We need more churches. But only if the Lord Jesus is the foundation. Because churches that church plant out of ambition hurt people. Because it was never centered on him. It could be a kingdom initiative. Good things. But it wasn't founded by him. It is good for us to sometimes look on the inside and say, Lord, search me. Because how many of you know we tend to get off on things? And our own dreams, or the, even, let me say this, even the things the Lord has spoken to you, we take hold of that and we just, we just go. We just start. And we leave him in the dust. And now those good things become our idols. They become our primary objective. And when they get taken away, because the Lord will take them away, we're lost. We don't even know who we are. Because our identity became not him. It became what we were doing. You guys with me? So we can make things that are not good sound good. But God sees through all of it. And ambition is a temptation to everyone today. It is. It's, it's, it's rampant. What does success look like? Does success look like a, for, for, for me as a, as a pastor? Is a success a lot of people in the seats? Is that success? Because that can get taken away in a moment. Is it to have a, a, you know, a big stat sheet full of salvations or you know, change lives or things that I, we can bring glory unto ourselves on? Or, or is success just really as simple as becoming more like him? It is. That's his goal for our lives. And we could say, well, salvation is important. Of course it's important. But how many of you know Jesus Christ himself must lay the foundation. He's the one who builds his church. He's the one that draws people to himself. Amen? I've had to come to terms with this. Because I was like, well, well Lord, if this is something that you've called me to, shouldn't it be working the way I think it should? I didn't say that part, but that's really what I was saying. Lord, it's not working according to who? You guys with me? He gets to define what is good. He gets to define what is success. Not me. Okay. Thank you. So to put your hand to what God has not called you to do, it will hurt you. Don't do it. That's where Absalom lives, in untethered ambition. He gathers people around him who have the same heart. What was Absalom's ambition? I'm talking about the, the one who was trying to take the throne from David. Absalom's ambition was, I want the throne. 
What was David's ambition? David's ambition was, I didn't ask for the throne. I'm leaving. And if God gave me the throne, we'll see who's anointed. You see, it, there's a different heart behind, between the two. One has unyielded ambition, and one is, I'm completely dependent on him. Whatever he wants. You see, it doesn't mean that David was perfect. No, it just means he had a true heart. How many of you know David was not perfect? No, he was not. But he had a true heart. And having a true heart, it doesn't mean that you're sinless, but it does mean that God will restore you when you're not perfect. So whatever you hold on to in life, whatever you hold on to first, will be taken away from, by, from God. This is often the struggle that believers face. They receive the blessing from the Lord, and now it is theirs, and they are the Lord of it. But how many of you know we must always live in a surrendered posture? There are gifts that the Lord has given you. Now, Scripture says he does not take those away, but they still must be submitted to him. You guys, is that making sense? Because if the gift becomes greater than God, then the gift becomes about what I can do and not who he is or what he can do through me. And there are things that the Lord has given you. There's things that the Lord has spoken to you. If you've been walking with the Lord, you've probably heard him give you some dreams or give you vision for your life. But because we don't see the results that we think we want or we don't see the things that we think should be happening, we question, is this God in the first place? But it's because we held on to it first. It became our priority. I'm going to give you, for instance, I remember there was a time, I've been leading worship for a while. Uh, I think I began when I was in high school. Met our youth group. Didn't know a lick of guitar, learned guitar. In two weeks, I could play like four chords. It was not good, guys. When I say learn guitar, have grace on that. I was just cranking on the thing. Learn guitar. Didn't have a great voice, but it was decent enough. Still is, right? But I was so in love with that. I began to love the gift more than the Lord. Without knowing it. I would never say that. But I be, it, became a, it became, if I'm not leading worship, it's not going to be good. That's a hard thing. And I remember I was leading for some time, and I was, at, uh, I was early in ministry, and I was interning at a church, and I'm so thankful for that time. And I'm so thankful because I was leading worship at the youth group of this larger church, and it was good. It was anointed. The worship leader came to me. He said that was some of the most anointed worship. The following week, the pastor of the church said, hey, we're going to move you out of youth ministry and we're going to put you in charge of the parking lot. And I, and I said, excuse me, what? Yeah, yeah, we, we have a problem in the parking lot. People are all over the place. There's been accidents. There's things, like right? And, and we, need to, we have limited parking. We just need to, we need, we need to bring orders to the parking lot. And I was like, well, there's a lot of people that can probably do this. No, yeah, but we're going to have you do it. Don't you know how gifted I am? Don't you know what the Lord's done in me, that he's gifted me this ability to lead people into the presence of the Lord? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
No, you're doing this. How many of you know I had to die to that? What I thought was in front of me and I, what I thought was best was not what God thought was, thought was best. And the Lord shaped me in that time. He molded me in a way that I would not have been molded or done a work in my heart that would not have happened, that would not allow me to carry the assignment down the road. Listen, whatever you, the Lord gives you, when you give it back, he gives it back double anointed. That's why Abraham, think about that. You'll be the father of nations. 40 years go by, no kids. Lord, this is not looking right. He gets one. He gets Isaac. And what does the Lord say? I want you to sacrifice him to me. But Lord, you gave this to me. I want you to give it. Aren't you thankful that Abraham said yes? And just as the Lord was about to, as Abraham was about to put the dagger into the gift that God had given him, the Lord says, stop. All I needed was your yes. Are we willing? Are we really willing to give the Lord everything? Are we willing to trust him with that? Because that is what is required. That is meekness. Blessed are the meek. What does meek mean? Tender, supple, palpable, humble. Blessed are the meek. Why? They will inherit the earth. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Why do the meek inherit the earth? Why is that for the meek? Think about that. Blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth? That's a, that's a big promise. Why doesn't it say the brave will inherit the earth? Why doesn't it say the courageous, the anointed will, will inherit the earth? Why does it say the meek will inherit the earth? It doesn't. But listen, I, I, I truly believe that when we get to the age to come, we're going to be shocked by who is leading who. There will be janitors that are leading pastors. There will be no names in this world that will be leading people who started church movements. We don't see things the way God sees them. Aren't you thankful about that? Because my view gets so distorted. No, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And the things that we champion on this earth, the things that we champion in our culture, they are not the same things that the Lord is championing. And so it says the meek will inherit the earth. Why? Because God can only entrust the soft-hearted with great things. If you're, if you're taking notes, write that down. God can only entrust great things to the soft-hearted. 
And if they are the ones that inherit the earth, it means that they are the ones that will rule and reign with Jesus. And this reveals the kind of person that Jesus wants to lead with. This reveals the kind of person that God wants to reign with. The soft-hearted, the correctable, the teachable, the humble, the ones who are willing to prefer another, to prefer him. The ones who do not glory in self, but the ones that only glory in him. Are you guys with me? And so when you look at this, it amazes me how Scripture says David was a man after God's own heart. It it amazes me because we know what he did. David was a terrible friend to Uriah, right? Like, he takes Uriah's wife, he gets her pregnant, He stays home when he should have been fighting at war. And David takes a day off when he was supposed to be somewhere else. In fact, and I think that's important because that's when the devil comes with temptation in our lives, when we're not where we're supposed to be. David was not where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be at war. It was the season for war. He was supposed to be elsewhere. He took the day off. And when he was not where he was supposed to be, he saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. David did not wake up that day and think, you know, I'm, I'm going to sleep with Uriah's wife. No, he didn't. No. He wasn't where he was supposed to be, and that's when temptation came. So much of our walk with Jesus depends on hearing his voice and being at the right place at the right time. And so David was not in the right place at the right time. He, he sees Bathsheba bathing. And that is what opened the door to sexual sin. Can we agree? And so David steals Uriah's wife. He gets her pregnant. He panics because I'm the king. He calls back Uriah from battle, gets him drunk to sleep with his wife to cover up his sin. And Uriah refuses because his men are fighting. And here's Uriah who's acting more righteously than the king, who is acting more loyal than the king. And so David comes up with this evil scheme to send him back into battle, to put him on the front line. And when the fighting gets tough, he orders all his other men to back off so that Uriah dies. What a terrible friend. I mean, can we just agree? So Uriah dies. And David takes Bathsheba as his wife. Now listen, that's horrible. That's what, they make Netflix documentaries based off of those things, right? And yet, Scripture says, and David was a man after God's own heart. And it was really because of two things. Number one, he was willing to repent. But number two, it was because of his motive. You see, David never asked to be king. It was never his ambition to be king. He asked to know the Lord. 
David never said, take not thy kingdom from me. What did David say? Take not thy spirit from me. See, that was David's heart. David was meek. You see, when Nathan the prophet came to confront David in his sin, he calls him out in front of everybody saying, this is exactly what you've done and this is what you've been doing. And David's response was the complete opposite of what Saul's response was when Samuel called him out on his sin. When Nathan the prophet calls out David, David was repentant. But you see, Saul, Saul wanted to be king. And not only did he want to be king, he wanted to be the priest. He wanted to take Samuel's place because he was insecure. See, what did Saul want? He wanted more. He wanted more out of his own ambition. Listen, there is, there is something holy, hear me on this, about being content. We lose our contentment when we no longer are looking at the Lord. If you want to know how to be content in life, look to him. That's a, that's a, that's a pro tip right there. That's a freebie. Saul wanted to be king and he wanted more. He wanted to be priest and he began to covet what others had out of his own insecurity. So when David got caught and was confronted in his sin by Nathan, Nathan rebukes him and David's response was this. Restore me in the eyes of the Lord. Saul's response was, to Samuel was, restore me in the eyes of the people. You see, one was meek, one was self. So why do the meek inherit the earth? God is looking for tender hearts to steward mighty things. God knows everyone messes up. Every single one. Every one of us messes up. It's a given. But God is looking for hearts that will humbly turn back to him and correct course when he calls. Amen? A meek heart is shocked when they inherit the earth. They're blown away. How would God choose me? How would he ever use me like this? How would he ever use me or call me to reach my friends? to have that kind of influence, to invite them to know him? How would he ever use me to minister to people? Meek people are shocked. A hard heart, though, says, I deserve that. It's because I'm gifted. It's because of how good I am. You guys with me? We need to be convinced it's not about what we can do. We must be convinced it's about what he has done. So how do we become more meek? How do we grow in this? Because I think we hear this and we're like, I want that. Right? Okay. Look at Psalm 105. Psalm 105. And if you have your Bibles turned there, I think this would be good to mark up a little bit. Psalm 105, verse 16 I've been praying through the Psalms lately. I would recommend that. 
Psalm 105, verse 16. How do we grow in our meekness? Verse 16 says, moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of the bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. How do we grow in meekness? This is how God does it. You see, God sees us in our brokenness. He sees us dead in our trespasses. I've heard it before, and maybe some of you have heard it, where people, maybe during an altar call, somebody will say, like, the gospel's like a life preserver. You you throw it out, and then the people will swim to it that need it. It's not the worst. It makes for a good altar call. But that's not exactly scriptural, because when you're dead in your sin, you're dead. You're not swimming. You died, and now you're sinking, and you're going down to the bottom of the ocean floor. You're dead. And all those fishes are eating you or whatever, those nasty thing, crabs and stuff, like you're, you're dead. And Jesus, the divine lifeguard, he sees you there, dead, in your brokenness. And he jumps in, and he goes to the bottom, And he grabs you and he swims up and he lifts you up and he gets you to the surface and then he breathes life into you. That's the gospel. We were all dead. And in him we have life. Amen? And the only reason it happened was because he loves you. And so God sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. When he looks at you, he doesn't look at you and think, you know, Jay has some abilities that I think I could use. I have this plan to grow my kingdom, to get people saved. I'm going to come back. I bet you, you know, Jay's, Jay's got nice hair. I, I think I can use him. No, that, that's not what he does. You see, he looks at Moses who's a stutterer, and he says, I'm going to make him the best preacher in the world. He looks at Jacob, who is a deceiver, and says, I'm going to make him the father of covenant. You see, it's in our weakness that the Lord uses us to bring windows of his strength. It has nothing to do with us. And we have to realize that that is meekness. And so God sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. And he says, I'm going to touch you and I'm going to confound the wise by turning your weakness into windows of my strength. And once he sees that in you and you yield to that, he begins to speak to you. Anybody been there? It's the best. Oh, it's the best. And he begins to call you. And you hear the scriptures that, You know, when you're in your mother's womb, he formed you, he shaped you. 
that he has a plan for your life. And how many of you know that is all true? And we begin to see, get glimpses of the things that God has called us to. Maybe you, he gives you a, a ear in worship and you get this picture of, of, of something happening or you doing something, right? Or you're alone in your bedroom and you're in the word and all of a sudden you, you get this picture in your heart or you start hearing through the, through the word, the Holy Spirit speaking to you and he starts to give you dreams. Because how many of you know the Lord leads us? And he starts to show you the calling, the plan that he has for your life. And maybe the assignment for specific seasons. And so we, we, we get these dreams and that promise, it excites us in the beginning because finally God realized what I always knew about myself. Finally, God figured it out that I'm good enough to be used by him. God, who prayed for you to open your eyes? And we get excited about the potentials. And sometimes with that excitement comes a zealousness to start on our own. And we quickly realize, you know what, maybe I wasn't ready to carry this. Maybe I wasn't quite ready to carry the dreams and the vision that God has put in my heart just yet. Maybe there's something more that he wants to do. We always think we're more ready than we are, don't we? I, I remember my oldest son. I think I can share this because this is, is hilarious. It's just who he is. When he was young, he had no fear. Like we would go to the pool and he would just see the water. He would see people jumping off the diving board, people that are in swim clubs, people that have been swimming for a long time. And he's like, I'm going to go do that. And he'd just go on the diving board and just jump in. Didn't know how to swim. Right? But we so often, we think we're more ready than we actually are. We think we can carry the weight of God's assignment for our life without actually being refined by him. You guys with me? And we soon realize we might not have been ready. And so here's Joseph. Joseph is imprisoned. He has fettered hands, which means irons, fettered around his neck, around his feet. And here is Joseph. He is in prison. He's a child of God. His dad, his father, is literally a friend of God. And he's imprisoned, forgotten about, and in shackles. And the Holy Spirit would call this the school of the Spirit. Joseph had dreams. He shared it with his brothers, and his brothers became so jealous that they, that they sold him into slavery. Didn't seem like it was working out for Joseph. Didn't seem like what God said was going to come to pass. And so God will speak his word to you, but then he begins to test the character and forge it. That's the progression. The word, the promise is released to us. God will speak things to you. He'll release things. And now he's got something to do in you so that his word doesn't crush you. This is so important. Listen, you, there, there is a development process that the Lord wants to work in you. And if you're anything like me, as soon as pain comes, as soon as discomfort comes, I want to do everything I can to get out of that and just be comfortable. But what would happen if we actually yielded to God's process and we just surrendered to him and said, Lord, 
do your work in me. Lord, this hurts so much. But Lord, whatever it costs, do your work. When people reject you, when people speak against you, when people betray you, will you hold firm to the faith and trust the Lord and continue to offer him to him, your heart to him? You see, that's the forging. That's the test. I remember one time, that one time there was someone significant in my life that was hurting. They were hurting. And there was a violent exchange of words from them to me. And they were wrong. And I remember talking to somebody and they said, you can take that spear and you can throw it back at them. Or you can dodge that spear, run to the cave like David and pray. That's the test. Will you fight fire with fire? Because they deserve it? Because they were wrong? Or will you surrender all to the Lord? Say, Lord, do your work. That's the test. Not, not to hide your pain. No, to bear all and to give him your pain. Catherine Kuhlman would say things like, if there's pain in your body, give your body to the Lord. If there's pain in your heart, give your heart to the Lord. If there's pain in your mind, give your mind to the Lord. Why? Because he is, he's the healer. What's that? We welcome you with praise. Nothing here is hidden. How many of you know that's the way we come to him? We hide nothing. That's how we're to come. All your hurt, all your pain, we give it to him and we say, Lord, I trust you. And he does his work. And he shapes you and molds you and equips you so that you can carry his assignment for your life. He will not crush you. You are more important to God than your assignment. Everybody needs to hear that. Whatever calling, whatever plan, whatever purposes he has, you are more important to God than the calling and the plan he has for your life. He does not want to lose you. He will not crush you. Aren't you thankful he's good like that? But if you've surrendered to him and say, Lord, I give my life to you, he'll give you promises, he'll give you words, he'll give you dreams, he'll give you those things, and then the test comes, will we submit to him? Will we be meek? And say, Lord, not unto me, but unto you. When I'm in life and I'm discouraged, it's always because of one thing. I stop looking at him. Every time. Every time I start looking and saying, God, it's not working. God, this isn't happening. It's not the way you said it would be. Lord, I'm still feeling, I'm still, have, I'm still sick. There's still pain in my body. Lord, you said you would heal me. Why isn't this working? Not unto me, but unto you, Lord. Is it possible that if the Holy Spirit's number one goal for my life is to become more like him, is it possible that the pain that we see, the pain that we endure, the things that we face, is it possible that the Lord wants to use those things to shape us and to refine us to become more like him? I don't know about you. The times I'm closest to the Lord is the time that there's pain in me. Pain in my heart, pain in my body. When I'm sick and I'm in my bed, 
oh, you, I don't my, my whole family got sick recently, and I didn't get sick. And I'm like, it's because the devil knows. When I get sick, me and the Lord, we get tight. Like, I'm just in bed, and I'm like, oh, Lord, right? I'm watching mess. I'm in the spirit, and I, the devil doesn't want me there. I, I think he just skips right over me sometimes. But when I'm discouraged, it's because I stopped looking at Jesus. Listen, this happens to me on vacation, you guys. I'll take a vacation, and I'll get out of my rhythm. And I know some people are like, I'm on vacation. Like, I'm taking a break from everything, and they're enjoying life. When I take a vacation, and the Lord's not with me on that, I come back discouraged because my eyes aren't on him. So how do we grow in meekness? We take our pain. We give it to him and say, Lord, I trust you. Not unto me, unto you. It's all for him, amen? Is this okay? Let's stand together. We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna dismiss. And let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. I just wanna pray over you. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have called every person here. Lord, that you see every person here. Lord, that you are available to every person here. Lord, that there is, that you don't look at things the way that we do. Lord, that you have called us. Lord, that you have breathed new life into us. Lord, that you see something in us that we can't even see. And Lord, I thank you for the words that you are speaking into people's hearts. I thank you for the dreams that you are breathing life into. Lord, may we never stop looking to you. Just repeat this after me. Say, Holy Spirit, make us meek. Do in us whatever you need to do. Make us meek. Make us kind. Make us lowly. Soft-hearted, gentle, and pure at heart. We want to be found faithful in the age to come. So help us to live for that day now. And Lord, we don't know exactly what we're praying for. But we ask for your mercy. Teach us along the way to be patient. And we ask that you would be patient with us. Thank you, Lord, that you've destined us to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Our hands are lifted. Our hearts are open. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The Lord is good. Aren't you thankful for his word? Amen. Hey, glad you're here, every one of you. So good to see you. There's people that I don't know here. I'd love to meet you. Um, 
If you need prayer, though, we got people that will be praying, available to pray with you. Otherwise, be sure to say hi to some people, love some people around you. Uh, Tell others how God's been good to you, but you're dismissed, and we'll see you next Sunday, 10 o'clock. God bless you guys.